0: And what's, what's a very common one for, for clients that I would see and what, what tends to surprise them is as, as I hear them talking about stuff, and they're talking about issues in their relationship or their, or their marriage and stuff like that, and I will say you sound lonely and they can't believe that you can be lonely when you have a partner, you have a boyfriend, a girlfriend or a husband or a wife. Um, but that loneliness that you experience in a, in a relationship is some of the worst stuff you can feel because you feel like you're not understood. You don't feel important. You don't feel seen. Uh, You don't feel connected. Um, Whereas you think you shouldn't be lonely because you have a partner.
1: You know, we're still equating that loneliness with being on our own. How do you, at this stage in life, let's say you're, you know, mid-twenties plus... Mm, How do you make mm. friends? You know, I watch my kids and they'll go straight over to another child and they'll yeah, stare yeah. them in the face and they'll chat away, mm. they'll run around. Don't play, play with me, things. pretty much. Yeah. i watch the child and the child comes around and go, Daddy, Daddy, did you see my friend? Yeah. Your friend?
0: You just fucking started talking to him two minutes ago and already he's your friend. How do Wouldn't you do the-
1: that shit? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if pubs were like that? You just <laughs> run up <laughs> somebody in the bar, want to be my friend. Do you like Xbox? Yeah. You do like it Yeah <laughs> I'd just run around the pool table for yeah, like two yeah, hours yeah. chasing each other. <laughs>
0: Oh, kids, I'm telling you, man, they have, have it all figured out. We can we learn it all or two from along them. the way. Yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> so, the amount, of times, the amount of times I hear from clients, how the fuck do you make friends as an adult? It's such a great question. It's like, yeah, how do you? Because, yeah. like that, like you described, your kid will go out and they go, they'll go out onto the road and the kid will be like, don't play with me. Yeah, all mm-hmm. right. But as an adult, that's obviously a very different thing because the, the the person you least want to be friends with is the person that comes up to you and goes, Do you want to be my friend? Absolutely. They're the people <laughs> you need. This weirdo. To yeah. yeah, this is weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> and inside you're dying going, I wish I could make a friend.
1: <laughs> How often have you spoken to a friend? Maybe somebody you haven't spoken to in a while or even just a couple of weeks or a few months how often have you got off the phone or have went for a pint or a cup of coffee and be absolutely buzzing afterwards
0: yeah i you know i was i, I was i forgot to mention it but we spoke on the phone yesterday mm. i don't know what was me i didn't i didn't sleep great Sunday night for whatever reason and i was in fucking Either did I. Either tonight, with that reason,
1: is nineteen months old. Yeah, and not yeah, yeah. His own fucking belt. Oh, stop! I'll have a, I'll have a four-year-old now kicking me
0: into spleen tomorrow night, and and what I will wake up to will be I did a fart. <laughs> Sound, buddy. Yeah, I know you did. I can fucking smell you. <laughs> What were we talking about? Um. <laughs> oh yes, we were chatting yesterday. So I didn't didn't sleep great on Sunday, and I woke up Monday morning. I was in Bad old form Farm. Don't know what was wrong with me. I couldn't get a hold of it at all. And I wasn't in Great Farm Tuesday morning either. And then we spoke yesterday. We were talking about the show, what we want mm. to do. And afterwards, it was fucking grand. We had a bit of chat, had a bit of crack on the phone call, you know. And that that was something I actually forgot until you reminded me there of how yeah. having that conversation, of just reaching out to someone and having a chat. Yeah, um, can change it. the young child learns from a very young age that there's no point looking for love. You're not going to detachment style then manifests in childhood where you have uh, parents who aren't emotionally attuned. You might be left to cry, uh, stuff like that. So basically, Mm. the, the, the young child learns from a very young age that there's no point looking for love. You're not going to get it. There's what's called a strange situation test. So a strange situation test is they'll, they'll bring a child. and This is how they identify a child's attachment style. So they bring a child into a into a strange room. It's uh, typically um, a two-way mirror. So it's observed. And it's done, you know, very specifically that we'd say the caregiver. Traditionally, the mother and child are brought into, into a room after, I think, maybe two or three minutes. The mother gets a, they gets a nod to leave the room. She leaves for X amount of time. And that's how the child reacts then when the mother comes back into the room. So so there's what's called a secure attachment style. So with a secure attachment style, the child has learned that, you know, the mother has been consistent in her care, has attended to the child's needs, has been emotionally connected with the child, is affectionate, nurses and nurtures the child, you know, when they're in discomfort. Mm. So the child has basically learned, well, this, this is a good outskin, this person. You know, she's back now and... I'm grand and I can emotionally regulate myself again. Mm. Uh, 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 an assistant from the, for the experiment comes in then. Mother is told to leave again. And a securely attached child can usually be placated by the assistant, by the lab assistant, we'll say, because they've learned, well, adults are decent old skins. But when mammy comes back in, I still want my mammy. You're you're grand and all, But I still want me mammy Uh, There
1: is um, There's one exception to that Is when the child is watching Peppa Pig (laughs) And it doesn't make a fucking difference If that house is burning down The child is not going (laughs) to move away from that telly Or that tablet In normal people There's a big lad culture Mm -hmm. Connell clearly isn't comfortable with the lad culture So this whole I need to be part of the tribe thing and I need them to like me, or they'll kick me out. So you see that you see that play out then a few times
0: um, within the show, particularly when they're in school. So I think the first um, the first instance we kind of see of that is where uh, where Connell's asked if he's riding Marianne, um, and and you know the group of friends start talking to him, and he goes into the toilet and nearly has a panic attack. So particularly what you will see with adolescents is so, that social anxiety. So as they start to step away from Mammy and daddy. And every, every parent that has a child, they know all they want to do is be with their friends mm. because this is their peer group that they will attempt to make their way through the world with. Yeah. So that social acceptance and and how you're accepted in the group plays a huge part. Mm. I mean, I, I, I remember an incident when I was a teenager. I can't remember who the individual was at the time or as I think about it now, but you know, typical group of lads and, and the girls, you know, the, what some of the girls would hang around with, you know, who get fancy or oh, I'd love to give him one or I'd love to give her one. Mm. And I, I remember mentioning one girl and she was very, she was very attractive. She was very pretty, but she wasn't from a good family. She was from a fairly rough family. And I remember being slated about it. Oh, mm. you dirty bastard. Oh, she's a fool. Yeah. No, yeah. And I, I never brought that up again. Because you know? there is
1: that pressure to have the group like you there is that pressure Mm -hmm, to be accepted mm -hmm. by the group and say the right things so if you're in a group of lads and they're all ripping the piss out of someone for being fat or something or Mm -hmm. one who's a bit of a slag or something Mm. there's pressure on guys to kind of pitch in and go oh yeah yeah Yeah, as opposed to you'll never hear a lad stand up and go lads knocking on the head will you from what you're seeing uh from your clients lately what's the biggest issues they're presenting with in relation to lockdown
0: Mm, what what i'm seeing with clients with anxiety is they've been pretty happy (laughs) over over the lockdown because they've been inside there's nothing to trigger their anxiety Mm -hmm. with some clients there was the initial concern and anxiety around catching the virus and all of that but you know they kept their social distance the the um you know, never left the house unless it was that once a week to do the to do the big shop and back straight back in. Oh, you know, a few of them are saying like they're already predicting the anxiety that will be there as we return to to the world. look, we're just we're straight talking. We're just using mm. in the parlance that most people are most familiar with of commit suicide. Exactly, yeah. So, you know, I declined talking about suicide and this was something they were absolutely going to do in many years when Children were older and stuff like that. Like and you know, I was having to come about looking Yeah, the the plan was they were going to do it in years, like as, as the children when the children were older and they didn't the uh, the individual wasn't needed anymore.
1: Funny enough, it's probably the time you need your parents the most. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when you're an adult. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus.
0: Um, and I had to, you know, I had to raise the point. I was like, look, this this may be something that, you know, you you're you know you're you're talking about this an awful lot now. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do it now. So, you know, it's not going to be anything. And I said, like, you're talking about killing yourself. And I turned around and said, Alan, don't be so fucking dramatic. (laughs) It's okay to tie with the expression of commit suicide. But the reality of it is, you're talking about killing yourself. Very unhappy house, a lot of tension. um, Person that I was, very close to a friend that was, you know, was my best friend, my kind of go to got himself a, got himself a girlfriend, great for him, but obviously I I was tossed to the side and mm. um I remember it, I was getting over I was coming from my grandmother's house just right by some Maryville for everyone in Galare that knows it. Uh, right at the at the railway bridge. Got over the wall, I stood on it, I seen the train coming and for me it was just the thought of what
1: it it kill me ma. That was the only thing that stopped me Did you plan this Or was it a, a snap no. decision or?
0: No no It was a, it was a snap really? decision I don't remember planning it yeah. Jesus Yeah I just remember Feeling so alone I just remember feeling so depressed Yeah um, That just the opportunity Presented itself mm. Um Years later Actually in, in a personal capacity I met someone who was A train driver And who suffered from severe PTSD Yeah yeah. After he experienced that very thing, yeah. someone someone threw himself in front of his train. Um. So, you know, it's important, it's important that I speak honestly on that. Yeah. So, yeah, it was just that, yeah. that split second of this This would kill me, ma'am.
1: Do you mind me asking, you? now you don't have to answer if you don't no. want to, but... No, no, go ahead. Do your family know you've attempted suicide? No. No.
0: They might do now, if there isn't it is. Very, very few people actually know that very right. few
1: people is it something y- you're weary about them knowing about or
0: no nah, look it was it was a long time ago that's mm. that's the place i was in at the time i don't mind i don't mind doing those. you know i'm, I'm comfortable yeah. i'm comfortable to talk about to talk about it now um yeah you know, this is the problem you know when we hide something and it just it just gives it more power over us yeah um, sure. so you know if i if i was to go through this whole episode and not not mention that 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 takes effort like because obviously, all I'm in my head is suicide, suicide, suicide. You nearly yeah, think yeah. suicide, 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 suicide. suicide. Yeah. time, you nearly stepped out in front of the train. Suicide, suicide, suicide. You know. Yeah. This is and this is this is what we have to do. We have to end the stigma around it. We have to be able yeah, to get that right, conversation going. Right, yeah. yeah. I'd be a fucking fraud if have said it, and I'll keep saying it. Like, you know, and and it's the same. It's the same with clients that is, you
2: know,
0: what you resist persists. You know, the more you fight against it, the more energy you're given to it. Yeah. So when I actually say it to, to to clients, um, you know your your anxiety is there to protect you. You know, it just might be a little bit overzealous with how okay. it does it. But as far as your brain's concerned, it's like, dude, you're alive. I'm doing my job here. Mm. <laughs> you know, so I'm gonna keep doing it because this shit's been working. Yeah. So you know, keep doing what works.
1: So we do. We just have to use our anxiety properly, or exercise it properly.
0: Yeah, no, that, see, a lot of people, a lot of people that, clients will come in and go, oh, I was feeling very anxious during the week. And you know, I'd say, okay, well, well you know, what, what happened? Or, oh, nothing, I wasn't doing anything. Well, I'd say, well, you know, what was going on? Oh, nothing, I wasn't wasn't doing anything. I was like, okay, right. You're, you mm-hmm. know, they're looking for an external trigger to it. Um, of, oh, I got a bollock in work or something like that. Mm. It's like, well, I was just at home. And I was like, well, okay, well, what, what were you, you know, what was going through your mind? What was... Uh, oh, I was thinking about I was thinking about that meeting I haven't worked the next day, or um, I knew I was going to get a bollock off the boss of work, so I was like, okay, here we go. So now this is where this is where it comes in. Clients come into me and go, oh, CBT, CBT, and it's this you know supposed wonder cure, uh, that I fucking fix all for everything, and it's not. Like I said, if you're in a highly stressed state, you can't, you literally can't think your way out of it. So it's like someone that's angry. Has anyone that's been angry ever fucking calmed down by being told to calm down? No. No. That's <laughs> petrol di- plus fire. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. What are you going to do? You're going to wind them up even more. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when you can think straight and that that blood is drained away from different parts of the brain and is getting into fight or flight mode, you, you can't always think your way out of it. Now, what, what you can do, you know, if you're feeling anxious is you can... Say to yourself something like, "Okay, well, you know, CBT, common CBT, one. Thoughts don't equal facts. You know, I'd say to clients, don't believe everything you think. Um, you know, you can okay, I've you can remind yourself, and this is the, the kind of top down approach. So when 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 we spoke earlier about the brain stem, that's the bottom up, um, and, and we we'll, and we'll speak about that when we talk about ways to deal with ways to deal with anxiety. So you can use your bottom up approach or a top down approach. So the top down is you're sort of thinking your way through it." using logic, using reason, uh, using the top part of the brain, essentially. Um, And CBT relies on the the top-down approach, being able to think, being able to rationalize, being able to logic your way through it. But if you're in a highly fucking panicked state thinking you're about to have a heart attack, (laughs) you're not going, you you know, that's that's not going to work for you. Mm. And, you know, and and when we talk about compensation, like, you know, we all say, oh, you're a man with the big car. Oh, he must have a little dick, like... You know he's com- he's compensating for something. When we have that deeply ingrained part of ourselves that I'm no good or there's something wrong with me or this kind of thing, and we we try and hide that, and we can't let anyone figure that out. So therefore, we'll well, if I tell everyone I'm fucking great and I'm I'm the best and I'm Billy Big Balls, then they're not going to know. And mm-hmm. I can I can put these I can put these kind of Rules and stuff in in place that uh, ensures that I I won't be found out. But deep down in your in your in your lonely moments, you know you're full of shit. Like,
1: mm. what car did you buy the other day? <laughs> it's a bigger car. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking knew you were going to say it.
0: I knew it. <laughs> You'd mentioned after your after your dad had died, or you know the <laughs> abandonment around that. You know, do you think was there any part kind of looking for that older male figure to fill that void, or?
3: Um, I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. I'm I'm yeah. starting to feel like I'm more in a counselling session now than I am in a podcast. So <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna use humor to deflect, as I always yeah, do. Yeah,
0: that's okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs>
3: I recognize my deflection at least. Yeah. Um. But yeah, honestly, there, there probably was a situation where I was looking for a male influence mm-hmm. in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that led me to a situation where I was at risk. I'm not going to say I put myself at risk because I was a fucking mm-hmm. child. So it, it may have led me to a situation where I was at risk.
1: You mentioned there about your relationships there, Chris. I've often mm-hmm. heard that people who you know, keep something like that to themselves for a number of years. They tend to befriend people who aren't really their friend or they never really ask how they're doing or ask too many questions about a person like. Did you ever find that?
3: Absolutely. One
1: hundred percent.
3: I mean I most definitely done that regularly. I would I would it would either be a case of I would make friends of people who wouldn't ask questions or who had enough of their own problems that I could kind of help them focus on theirs and they'd leave me alone. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or I would just move through friend groups really quickly. Well, it's exactly yeah. what I do anyway. I'm not going to speak for I, I, everyone. You're, you're
0: not alone in it. I mean, I think you can. And we, we've spoken about it before on, on the podcast of Irish people and, and using, uh, using humour as a defence mechanism. You know, we're, we're great at it. We, we, we can't deal with discomfort, so we'll, so we'll try mm-hmm. to knock a bit of crack out of it. Mm, yeah. Mm. And look, and this is what, you know, coping mechanisms are for, to, to help us to to help us to cope. I just wanted to go back on something you'd mentioned there, Chris, just for, you know, for people that may be listening that may not be aware when we, when we talk about grooming. So very often what happens with, uh, around child sexual abuse is the older adult grooms the, the child into it. So, you know, it's very rarely um, a situation where they just go straight into the into the sexual abuse. Mm it starts off with you know it might be buying them sweets or buying them little presents or you know including them into these little secrets oh this is our little secret now don't tell your mum you had them sweets uh and then it it, it, it starts to the ante starts to rise a little bit they might hold the hand that little bit longer or the, the hand gets placed on the top of the leg just just trying to test those boundaries to see to see where it goes and then you know, it's pushed and it's our little secret and all oh, this, you know, because this is this is our thing now. And, you know, if you tell your mammy, she'd be very upset with you and this kind of stuff of all. Oh, if you tell that and then, you know, they knew and then something might happen to your mammy or your daddy. And then, then the fear comes in by, by means of control. And, and the fear that was, uh, I suppose, held over you then, Chris, with, with the fact of, well, you know, I'll I'll tell.
3: Mm. And what I suppose what what you're describing there is actually pretty much exactly what happened to me. So yeah, I'm just gonna go ahead there and, and just name it as grooming now, because <laughs> like and no, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily sweets or anything like that. I had yeah, it yeah. was it was more like uh, he'd let me drink, or yeah, yeah, exactly yeah yeah you know like he'd let me I suppose behave like an adult so so like i mean it, it, it's essentially exactly what it was and and when people say oh something might happen to your mommy or daddy and like i mean mm. even the fear like i yeah. suppose for me the fear was and like i mean it was losing my parents mm. like it, it may not have been losing them in the classic sense like some people say that yeah. like groomers or paedophiles will threaten the life of a parent yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Had, had i have been outed as far as i was concerned mm nobody would ever want me again.
1: Chris, who was the first person you told about the abuse? Uh, Twitter. Really? Yeah.
0: <laughs> was, this, was this a few weeks ago, Chris? Yeah. That was it? Oh, wow. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose, like, I mean, part of the reason why I put it up on Twitter is because um, the Me Too movement had kicked off mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last time the last time I had stayed stayed very, very very silent um and it, it wasn't a case of I didn't support the movement or I didn't believe any of the women out there. It was mm-hmm. more a case of i just i couldn't i I couldn't yeah. talk about it every time I tried to talk like I mean the tweet I put out a couple of weeks ago is a tweet that I have, like it's a tweet that I've had in the back of my head, it's a conversation that I've had in the back of the, my head, it's a phone call that I've had in the back of my head with so many people, but it's just never ever happened. Um, and my own niece, my own niece is a, is a survivor of, um, of, of abuse mm-hmm. and seeing her on Twitter talking about it honestly and openly and seeing seeing how much it was helping people that she was that she was kind of standing out there just kind of it, it gave me that that final kind of kick in the teeth to go right come on now mm-hmm. it may not have been the best way to do it but it's done
0: <laughs> what what it's, was the it, reaction to it then chris or how, how well first of all how did you feel after putting it out there i, I shat
3: myself. Um, I was, I was honest I was honestly terrified. I was terrified that somebody was going to see it and, and make it out that I was I was a liar. I was terrified that um somebody was going to see it and pity me. I, why would that like, be so bad, Chris? Uh, I don't like being pitied. Thank you very much. Um <laughs> That's that's not the person I've built like myself to up to I be, won't go or
0: further the, into that one. Yeah, that's, that's, that's <laughs> not be, the person like I've built
3: myself up to be, and that is not the person. <laughs> that's that's not the persona that I portray to people. And if people begin to pity me, people begin to question. Not not everything like not everything I've always done, but they begin to question if I'm okay.
0: Parents unresolved trauma. Gets passed on to the child. It's sure. true to behaviour. It's true many, many different things. So for you know for a for a parent that's been say battered by their by their um, by their parent, you know, and then they go on to batter their children. It's because they haven't worked through the trauma of being beaten, and they think that this is not that this is normal.
1: It's the done thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I,
0: I very often, very often in, in clients that I see with uh, particularly the female clients that I see with eating disorders, uh, very often there's it's it's internalised issues around food from their, generally speaking, their mother.
1: Mm.
0: So the mother gets very conscious that the child might be putting on weight because they have their own issues with weight and they've tried Weight Watchers and they've tried Slim and yeah, World and yeah. diet, after diet after diet after diet after diet. And this sends a signal then what, around food. That it's not okay to be, it's not okay to put on a bit of weight. It's not okay to be fat. You have to be mm. this, you have to be that. Uh, and comments then around Do you want to watch what you're eating. Now? Yeah, yeah, this, this kind of thing. So it's it's a multi generational trauma. In Ireland, we are victims of generational trauma. Whether that's through the church, whether that's through the famine. Okay. As okay. as we as we talk about food, I mean, you're only talking about what your great grandparents or maybe your great great grandparents mm, that lived yeah. through the famine. Yeah. yeah. And what 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 does that breed? What does that what gets passed on to the next generation then around food? You know, all of this, you know, through sectarianism, being ruled by the by the British. You know, it still goes on. It's up the north. It'll mm. never change. It's bred into them. The yeah. Brits and the Catholics and the Protestants and the, all of this. Mm. Because it's been passed down and passed down and passed down.
1: Why do we get depressed?
0: Just jumping straight in there, man. I was going to fucking... I was going to... Uh,
4: <laughs> the deep end. I you know, we
0: thought we'd talk a little bit more about it and... Uh, and then I'd say, why, why, but just you fucking jump
1: straight oh, in there, no, man. You're, gotcha. you're, you're straight in, no kissing, huh? Dude, I'm bursting and going just for slash, so come on. Yeah. Here, <laughs> me too. <laughs> here, come on, i go for a slash, you meet P Let's do it.
0: P is still, P is still gone. It's reminding me of the, uh, of the Peter Kay's guest called How Long Do Dads Piss For? Oh, once a week for fucking 20 minutes. He's still gone. You can enjoy listening back to this beat. <laughs> you know, it's something I've, I've experienced over the years, like, you know, it flares up every now and again. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a fucking horrible feeling, but I can function with it. Right. You know, I can always get up, I can always go to work. Um, some people, you know, they can't get out of
1: it. So can Better. you have different extremes of depression or is it just your ability to deal with it? I mean, look it up, there's two differences.
0: So there's, so where it's a kind of longer term, you know, you've got a major depressive disorder. That's
1: something you're going to have to live with for most of your life, is it?
0: Well, not necessarily,
1: but it means it's, it's longer than two weeks. You know, it can, okay. go on for, it can go on for months. Do you learn to live with depression or can you get rid of it altogether? Yeah, I think, I think as I said, look, at, you know, for me, you know, it flares up every now and again. It was um, a bit of a revelation on last week's podcast, actually. Jeez, I was was completely floored by it because I never knew that Peter Kay was from Pakistan. (laughs) Did you know that? Did you know that?
0: (laughs) It was an impromptu impression.
4: Peter
1: Kay Oh that, that was an impression Was it? Ah, that's me bollocks <laughs> <laughs> Hold on for a second Hold on Hold on For anybody who doesn't know Last week On our episode about depression Alan did uh, An impression of Peter Kay uh, While we We had to go for a piss Not together now Separately <laughs> We had to take a break During our podcast And Alan did an impression Of Peter Kay For anyone who didn't hear it Have a listen to this He's
0: still gone It's reminding me of the uh of the Peter Kay sketch, go. How long do dads piss for? Oh, once a week for fucking twenty minutes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> how long should you let a child play? Like, if you have a parent listening to this now, mm, the child mm. plays uh, video games. How long should you let them play?
0: Yeah, so I mean, d- d- depending on the age, but generally, a kind of the kind of rule at home for kind of f- from five is probably about an hour a day. Mm, okay, uh, and that's. I mean. Th- without knowing that that's what i'd kind of allow james for um 90 minutes 90 minutes is kind of a a sensible amount of time okay um so i mean there's no hard and fast rule but i mean this was the thing as well like when when i did my when i did my masters was that you know they're all going on oh did you see that thing oh fucking uh, my child was like a demon after he played Fortnite for 15 hours Mm. and i was like hang on a fucking minute love you're the one letting them play for fucking 15 hours. Unreal. Jesus. Do you not think there might be something wrong there? Like
1: 15 hours? Oh, sure, I have to. No, no, you don't. You're the parent. You tend to only be awake for an average of 15 hours, 16 hours a day. <laughs> so of
0: course you'd <laughs> be fucking mental. If you did anything for 15 hours like that, yeah. like you you know, but then they're all going out it's just oh, 12 hours a day. My yeah. my son, my daughter's only, it's like, you're the fucking parent. Mm. You tell the child you're allowed an hour, you're allowed 90 minutes and that's it.
1: Yeah. Simple as if, if
0: you can play for fifteen hours,
1: sure you will. Mm.
0: Of course, <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> yeah, of course you will. Just, uh, can't blame the child.
1: Mm.
2: When I was at the height of my mentalness, like I was manic, you know. But I knew that I was struggling, but I did not know how bad I was, you know. Yeah. As you look and back now, Michelle, how, how bad do you think oh it was? Jesus, when I look back now, <laughs> I don't I think know that how I oh, Yes, <laughs> yeah. I mean gee oh lads the days were tough oh, like how I got through some days you know what I mean were yeah it was tough going out for a long time mm. what did you suffer uh, from
1: Michelle do you mind me asking
2: uh, well anxiety but I suppose it was trauma like I a lot of kind of stuff went on in my life um that was very difficult and it kind of Mm -hmm. affected my whole life so like affected my personal life my professional life and and you know I lost friends um and it's just kind of one thing after another you know okay and I never really had any chance to get over it so how I really knew I was in trouble was I started having panic attacks for absolutely no reason like the first time that happened to me I was just like going about my business next thing I was like (gasps) and I was like oh this is not fun so yeah um,
1: we spoke about panic attacks before on our episode about anxiety and I was completely taken aback to hear that people who have panic attacks could end up in the hospital claiming they're having a heart attack. Yeah, i a heart attack. First time it happened
2: to me, I was just horrendous. Like, I can't, I I really can't just put it into words. Um, Yeah, it was really horrendous. But I think what, like, although it was really horrendous every time it happened, after the first one, I didn't feel as much like I was going to die, right? Mm. So I was like, I knew, like, Get that Xanax in, and I'd be fine. Um, <laughs> because it actually happened to me one morning in a hotel with my friend after a night out, and probably because I'd been drinking or whatever, and I was feeling sick. And it was the yeah, fact yeah, that I was sent
0: to be through the roof. Yeah. That
2: I was like, yeah, I, was I really needed stuff. to vomit. Do you know what I mean? And like, I just couldn't get sick. And that's what kind of brought it on me. And next thing, I was like hyperventilating, and my friend was there, and she was freaking out then because she could see me freaking out. <laughs> and then I said, just get the Xanax out of my bag. <laughs> So she got this Alex and she was like giving me one and I was like two, right? So she gave me two. So like then she had to ring my mom. So I'm like in the bed off my nut, you know, and she had to ring my mom. It was so funny. And she was like, is she okay? And she's like, yeah, no, she's fine. She's probably not going to be able to drive home or whatever. So then she phoned my sister who happened to be around the corner working. So my sister came up to the hotel and she was like all panicked then. And I was lying. It was so funny because I was like lying in the bed and I was grand. Do you know that everyone else seemed to be worse. I was like, right. you know that when you're there, I seemed to be the only one thinking logically. And then my sister worked in a pharmacy, and she was on the phone to the pharmacist, and I could just hear the pharmacist saying, "Oh well, if she's been drinking now and she's taken two Xanax, mm-hmm. and maybe she get mm-hmm. an ambulance just to be safe." And I was mm-hmm. lying in the back going, "If someone rings an ambulance, I'm going to go fucking mental."
0: Right? <laughs> More like, mental. Yeah.
2: <laughs> like I'm absolutely grand, sure I'm sleeping it off here.
1: And that has to be another element of stress as well when you're you're touring. Um, you know, if you're about to go on stage and you get a phone call. You still have to go on stage. You know, like it's it's the same in uh, when you're you're going on air and radio. You can get a phone call to say a bit of news on such and such, they're not doing well, and you've to put up a fader and go, ah, oh, welcome along to the show, and I uh, hope everybody's doing well. If you want to text me in, you can text me. On. You know, while well,
4: behind it all, you're fucking uh, it ha- happened to me last year like I I might not get through this story without choking up okay so as I was telling you Alan last year my best friend killed himself and still hurts still hurts if anything like if anyone if anyone is listening to this all five people listening to this you know if you're if you're in a certain place mentally yeah people say it's it's a very selfish thing but you know just the, 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 the damage you're leaving behind you is you know it's you can't compare it to maybe you can to what you're feeling right now maybe it's selfish of me wanting him here when he just clearly didn't want to be but um, we we buried my best friend and I had a gig that night you know, so I had to, had to bury him went for drinks and then I went in and DJed, and it was the weirdest gig of my life like I just did it in, on autopilot but like mm-hmm. people were coming up to me oh, uh, will you play this? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. Oh, will you play this? I remember one man's we will, will you play Queen? I can't remember what song it was, but I'm like, <laughs> are you even listening to it? I had to stop myself from snapping at someone who yeah, didn't yeah. deserve it, you know? But then I remember at the end of it all, I was just like, holy shit. Like I, I pressed play, I pressed stop and that's about it. You know, I was just in a, just the most surreal, mm-hmm. like it was probably one of the worst gigs I've ever done. Like my head wasn't in it. And at mm-hmm. the end, I remember going up to the bar st- staff and telling them, look, I've just, Buried my best friend. If tonight's set was shit, I'm sorry. It was the first time I played there as well, you know. So mm. I'm like, if you, if I didn't make a good impression, but that, yeah. that's basically what you were saying. It's like I have to go on stage now and do all this dancing and yeah, these yeah. routines and play and like pretend that I'm happy when five hours ago we buried our best friend.
1: Yeah. You know, obviously your your livelihood depends on it, and as you say, you know, you want to make a good impression because you want to get a call back because you want to get repeat yeah. work. You know what I mean. But um, do you ever find that you create nearly an alter ego? You know, like yes. you're, you know, you you DJ Flip, and you DJ become and Ronan are
4: two different people exactly. For sure. you, for and you sure. have to do
1: that. You yeah. know, you have to become something else.
4: You know what? That's my curse as well because people know me as this drinking party guy. But now I'm 38. You know, like even. I, I noticed my energy isn't what it was last year. So two yeah. years ago, I twice the amount. Five years ago, I felt like I was 18. Like I look young. I feel young. Mm. I was. Mm. I acted young. Mm. But now I'm on stage and people are like I'm handing me shots and I'm like, Jesus Christ, I just want this to be over and yeah. go back mm. to bed. Hey, Philip, come on. We go to a party. There'll be girls there. I'm like, mate, I'm going back to my hotel and having a wank. <laughs> yeah, it's just like-
1: Somebody comes into you. Somebody's new. Mm. and uh, the sit down and the chair or the couch or whatever you have then what happens
0: so first session we'll say mm. yeah so first session so I will go over what, what they can expect first question I'll ask them have you been for therapy before yes or no if they say yes ok I'll still go through the formalities i got to mm. cover my arse i got to make sure I've explained confidentiality and all that to them um, so i say well look it's been a while we'll go through it some of it's probably the same some of it might be different so if they haven't been, I'll go through everything of, of, of around what to expect with therapy. First thing I'll address is confidentiality. So almost everything you say in therapy is, is confidential. So where you might make the your, your therapist aware of threat to safety. So where you're planning on hurting yourself or someone else. Or where any minors may be at uh, risk of abuse or neglect. Now what's changed in, I think it's probably only the last two years, I think it is, is that... It didn't used to be mandatory to report sexual abuse. Oh, it, it is now, not kind of, you, you were advised to, but yeah, now it's uh, mandatory and it's yeah. illegal not to report it. Okay. Now, that comes under the Children's First Act. So the Children's First Act is about protecting and making sure no other children are at risk mm-hmm. um, of any sort of abuse. They know, well, if I tell him about this, he's going to report it. So they may not come back. How do you deal with that then? Well, you, you'll always try to encourage the client to report it themselves. And this, this is something, you know, I was, I was talking, to, talking to a client about during the week. So you mentioned self-esteem and, and, and the, negative, you know, the negative beliefs around herself. She has constantly, constantly pushed herself throughout her entire life. She's always doing the next course, the next course, the next course, the next course, and this is this is someone highly qualified, very very professional um, job with a lot of responsibility, has exceeded where she where she should be uh, in life at such a young age. You know, like Jesus Christ, you're only in such an age. Mm. But her belief, her constant belief, is that she's not good enough. There's a bit of imposter syndrome. She will okay. spend two hours looking up something because she thinks that her way isn't the right way when in fact her way is, is the right way. Mm. So she's constantly uh, retraining, constantly doing, she's like, well, I don't know if I'm going to do another master's, you know, mm. i like, that's, that's a belief that's costing you money. That's a belief that's costing you time. That's a huge, huge impact mm. on, on her life as a result of her thought process. So what I was saying to her during the week is then well well where's the evidence that and this again would be very common CBT technique, you're looking at the evidence for where's the evidence that you're no good at your job? Well, when was the when was the last time you made a mistake? Uh when when did something like, when was the last time someone and it's like, you know, having to wreck or rack her mind to try mm. and, to try and figure out when that was. So you need to start it's about starting to challenge that because you know, thoughts just fleet. So unconsciously her belief is that she's not good enough or she's not qualified enough. So she's constantly chasing, chasing, chasing more courses, more courses, more courses to be more qualified. Yeah. And I said, like, you're never going to be qualified enough because this is the thought process that you have. Mm -hmm. And until you address the thought process, you're just going to keep trying to do the next course, the next course, the next course, the next course. Yeah. So how did she do it then? Well, Well, it started the other day when we actually named it so we could bring the awareness around it then and she kind of toward the end of the session was like well yeah I'm probably not going to do another Masters because you, because you actually went yeah I'm never going to be able to do enough mm. but she's constantly trying to self-improve and that's good self-improvement is good absolutely and yeah. i doing it for the right reasons but she's doing it to go well if I do this I'll be good enough if I do that I'll be good enough mm. if I do that 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 and it's a yeah. constant constant chasing something that
1: is that she, she's, she's
0: never going to catch
1: is there an underlying uh, condition there Low self-esteem. Trudy low self-esteem. Be behind, okay. Something like that, yeah, yeah. Right. So how do you use CBT to tackle low self-esteem?
0: So you attack, you you, you would tackle that 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 thought process. Mm. And, you know, so one of the things I said was, where's the evidence that you always make mistakes? Where's the evidence that you're not good enough? Who's told you you're not good enough? Okay. You know, you, you come at it that way. Mm. And, you know, maybe maybe there's one person. Okay, and has anyone ever told you that you're competent. Oh yeah, well like a few people say to me there during the week, you're great at your job, you did a okay, and was there any other incidents of that? Well most days people tell me that I'm I'm very good at my job.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So this is how when you tackle the thought process behind it. Mm-hmm. You affect the beliefs, you affect the feelings and you affect the behaviour. So okay. where she is she where she's feeling shit, feeling bad about herself. She's getting low when you challenge the the beliefs around it, the cognition around it. Mm -hmm. That will start to change how she feels that. That won't happen overnight, but it starts with
2: the awareness around it to begin with.